That made the coolest noise ever, also. Pulling it off? Yeah. There you go. Okay. <laughs> On that note. Natire Latsmenu. Imagine to yourself for a minute somebody you love and somebody who you hate or who hates you they're having a long conversation about you. And every time the one who loves you tries to be matzik you tries to justify the things you've done and the things you're doing Every time he tries to say, nah, he's not such a bad guy, he does this and he does that, the person, the sone, he turns it around and he says, he's only doing that to be selfish, he's not really such a nice guy, he just cares what other people think. A million reasons why he tells you that the things that you love about this person, there's nothing there to love. And you, the protagonist of this conversation, you're the subject, are sitting and listening from behind the door. Right, the story of the Nitziv So your best friend and your worst enemy are having a conversation about you. Your best friend is saying all the most wonderful things. Your worst enemy is saying all the most terrible things. And how everything that your best friend is saying is mamish out the window. And you're sitting and listening. What will be your reaction? Will you think to yourself, I'm appalled at the mida of sinna of my enemy? How could he hate me so much? Maybe I'll be angry that he can't see me in a positive light at all. He doesn't know how to be done, he doesn't think anything nice about me. Or maybe you'll feel sorry for him that he can't see you. Maybe you'll want him to see you in a more positive light. You may have many reactions to this. Hamakir atzmo yagid b'shalva kol ta'anosav shalsonai enon chadoshosli hakol aniyodeya umargish ma'atzmi. A person who is aware of himself will be b'shalva. What does b'shalva mean? Peace. Serene. And he will tell himself in a peaceful way. Every taina that this guy who hates me has on me, they're not new to me. I already know and I already feel these things inside of me. This, Rabosai, is exceptionally hard to do. Being, knowing yourself doesn't just mean that you know things about yourself. It's saying, if you listen to the person who hates you the most in the world, it doesn't bother you. Because you're so aware of it and you're so, it's so real to you that it would be like, what's the difference anyway? That is an exceptionally high level of knowing yourself. See, what we could do is we could sit in a room together and you might be able to tell yourself all of the tainas that you have on yourself or all the tainas you think people have on yourself. But even if you knew that and you were standing behind that door, what would the feeling you have be? 
Come on, you can't say one nice thing about me? Hey, you can't see any milos that I have? If that's the reaction you have, then you don't really know yourself. Because if what he's saying has some element of truth to it that you already know it about yourself, then you'll be Bashalva. That's a very, very high level. On the other hand, Revolvi says, a person who is not self-aware, to the degree that if he was standing behind that door, lady, could you imagine you're standing behind that door? If you really know yourself, you're Bishalva. You're at peace. You're saying not nice things about me? It's okay, I already know these things. Nothing you said, nothing he said is new. He called me arrogant. I'm aware I'm more aware of my arrogance than he is. He called me jealous. I'm more aware of my jealousy than he is. I get it. I can understand why he experiences me like that. Yet most people, how far removed are people who are not like that at all. And they're living in an oil of They're living in a land of make-believe. They don't know themselves at all. They never had the guts to really look inside of themselves. And not only that, they don't want to puncture the bubble that they live in, right? They don't want to burst that world of imagination, right? Because they're enjoying the world of imagination that they live in. And not only that, they want to acquire for themselves the title of an Ovid, a person who's working on themselves. So in their Oilam Adimyon, not only are they unaware of their arrogance, their jealousy, their anger, right? Whatever, whatever the bad midos that their Sone is saying about them, not only are they not aware of that, fakert. They think, I am the biggest Balmus or I'm the biggest Ovid in the world. And they never, they never look into, like, where is this Oilam Adimyon coming from? You know, some people, they have what we call an over-identified persona. What does it mean, an over-identified persona? The persona is the part of yourself that you show to the world, right? We all have inner negative beliefs, a poison box, if you will, of things that we keep inside, and then there's a persona, the way I want people to perceive me. So you want to live in this world of your imagination that you're this amazing person, so you, you think that way, and then that's what shows on the big screen, and that's what you're trying to show to the rest of the world. What's the problem with that for most people? most people will see right through that. And when they see through that false persona that you're creating, what do they see? The real you. And you're the only one that's unaware of it. So you have anger issues, but you're not aware of your anger issues. Why? Because you think, what do you mean? I'm an Ovid, I'm a Baal Musr, I'm the real deal. The problem is the other people in the world, even though you're putting on this persona and you're trying to pretend to the world that you're this from guy, they see right through you and they see your Midos Ros. So you think you're an Ovid and a Baal Musr, but the truth of the matter is it's all a facade. Because you're not willing to look, you don't have the guts to look into the chaos of your life and to find the spark that's within that chaos. And that, by the way, is the big secret. And that's something that Revolvi is trying to reveal to us. I'll try to spell it out for you a little bit more right now. Awareness of the self doesn't come from, like, I know myself. It takes the guts of looking in in a very real way of, like, Acknowledging the, the acknowledging the hell of your existence. That's really what it is. It's hell. Right? And it's acknowledging like this place that I've been in my life or that I have inside of me, it's this chaos that I'm afraid to enter. 
But until you enter it, you won't really know yourself. Until you understand your own monster, you're not really going to know yourself. And when you understand your own monster and you've become, you're not afraid of your shadow, right? Because the monster really is just a shadow. For most of us, we're not going to do terrible things, right? But until you know that you have the capacity to do some terrible things, you may not be aware that you've done some of these terrible things. And that is a tremendous revolution. So it's like... A, I never realized I had anger issues. Do you know how many people I know that are totally calm that have major anger issues? And yet you'll never see it from them, right? Because on the outside, they don't have anger issues. But when you get to know them, what do you see? They're seething and boiling, but it doesn't really come out. Or they're like working so hard to keep it in. And then you say to them, you know, it's, it really appears to me that you have some anger issues. And they go, what are you, crazy? I don't have anger issues. I'm like the most calm, relaxed guy in the world. Well, really? You didn't know that about yourself? Well, why don't you know it about yourself? The answer is because you never had the guts to look in the mirror. If you don't look in the mirror and, com and confront the monster that you have inside of you, then how are you really going to know yourself? And if you would hear your Sone talking about it, you'd be like, please, my Sone doesn't even know the half of it. He thinks he's seen my anger issues. Trust me, I have been inside myself. I know my anger issues. But because you know your anger issues, when you hear your Sone talking about it, you're not sitting there and saying like, oh, come on, how come you can't just judge me positively? You know why you're not saying that? Because what he's saying is true. At least it's touching on the truth, right? It may not be totally true, but he's touching on the truth. He's, he's identifying something inside of us. And by the way, when we hear other people say things about us, that's a call to action, right? If you hear somebody say about you, or if somebody says to you directly, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, perceiving, in this you, I'm perceiving in you this negative me, though. That's a call to action. That's like a, whoa, you know, like, I never thought of myself that way. It's so, it's so interesting that he experiences me that way. So that's other of it. That's not something that you should be running away from hearing. That's something you should be running towards hearing. Going to your bayim and saying, give me Musa. I would love to hear your perception of me. I would love to hear how you feel. Right? Because it's not uncomfortable. It's a massage. Right? You ever get a massage? Massages are not comfortable. Right? When you, if you get like a really good deep tissue massage. And by the way, I've only had one in my life. If you get one, if you had, so how do you walk out of it? You walk, like in the middle, you're like, oh, they're killing me, right? And only at the very end are you like, oh, <laughs> right? Because it's a massage, so it could be uncomfortable, but at the end, that's how you work the king's head. And if nobody ever gives you the opportunity to hear another critical experience of yourself, where are you ever going to have that, that tension to grow? Because all of growth requires tension. So when you hear your Sony talking about you, you're like, okay, I know those things about me. It's not shocking to me. You understand? And in that way, you really know yourself. And on the other hand, we have people that are walking around with this olama dimio, trying to convince the world that this is who they are. They don't want to have their bubble burst. They don't want to have their imagination punctured. They're just, yeah, this is this is who I am. Yeah. How do we know when to tell those things to people not to Well, first of all, I would definitely not advise. Yeah, I'm not saying. Yeah. Is he saying it's like a call? Again, sometimes sometimes as a parent, and sometimes as a rebbe, sometimes as a friend, we have to say tough things to the people that we love who may not want to hear them. We have to say them with compassion. We have to say them in a way that they're going to be able to hear it. And we have to know when to hold and when to fold. And that that by itself is a, is a whole avoda. But, you know, I will share with you that some of the most growth-oriented times of my life have come on the heels of hearing things from my friends, my rebayim, my children, my spouse, some of the things I really, really didn't want to hear were some of the most growth-oriented times of my life. So I don't know that Revolvi right now is speaking to the person who's giving Musa. I think no, he's I'm speaking to the person who's receiving Musa. Right. I think our attitude has to be, 
open, curious, ready to learn. Why is that person experiencing me as, as aloof? Why is that person experiencing me as holier than thou? That's a big one, right? Okay. By the way, it doesn't mean that they're. It doesn't mean that all the time they're right. I should clarify that, right? There are times when a person will hear something and they'll go, "I honestly think that's a little bit more their stuff than mine," right? There are there are times like that. But nevertheless, if that's your attitude, you're probably never going to learn anything from the people that from the people that are around you. And the capacity to learn from the people that are around you is enormous. It's enormous, especially in tight circumstances, right? Um, one of the challenges of divorce is that you can only learn the art of differentiation in a marriage. Make sure everybody understands what that means. Do you guys know what differentiation means? Like from the word different. Like you are different than me, so I don't have to be enmeshed in, in your emotions, right? And that's really healthy. When people are not differentiated in a marriage, it causes a lot of shalom bias problems, What's right? What's the attitude, Michelle? So the, the, the attitude of, if I get divorced, right? Did you mean from before? No, I meant right now. I'm yeah, saying, so the attitude the is, one, the one is differentiation. I'm not you. Right. right. So like, just because you're having a bad day, understand. right, doesn't mean I have to get wrapped up in that. And and either of and the fact that you're upset at me that I'm not upset more with you right I can be empathic without like losing myself right, right? that's that's your codependency that's your enmeshment that's your lack of differentiation there's a, there's a way to deal with it too I mean, you, for sure you, obviously you don't have to be super connected but you can have a connection to that person correct yeah. and that and that's understand the, and listen to what they have. Mendy I agree with you 100 percent that's why it's called an art right because yeah. it's not it's not one way or the other. It's a balance, right? I can be empathetic to what you're going through without losing myself, right? But the thing is when, when people get divorced, and I'm not saying that there's not a time for divorce, but when people get divorced, well, they never, they never learned the art of differentiation, right? So, so now they get remarried. And what happens? Get divorced. It's the same thing. Because the problems that are inside of you come with you wherever you go. So this is why people all the time are like, oh, well, if I'll just switch yeshivas. I'll just switch seminaries. I'll just switch jobs. <laughs> well, the problem is the next job is going to have the same problem. Why is it going to have the same problem? Because the same thing that got you to point A is going to get you to point B. So it doesn't really make a difference. Yeah? How do we recognize that we are hiding something? Uh, you are. <laughs> Every one of us is hiding something. Right, but we may not know it. Yeah, maybe, Sometimes but... Sometimes it might take someone else to tell you. Sometimes. How do you recognize yeah, well, again, let's say, let's, say, um, let's say you don't have the opportunity where something is telling you something about yourself. I, I recommend journaling. That's something that works for me, right? Really spend time thinking deeply about not who you are necessarily in the existential way because that's like, then you start to get involved in the, like, that great ponderous, like, who am I question. You don't actually do any real work on yourself, you know? It's like, and then all of a sudden, and, and most of the time it just becomes, like, sociological, like, do I want to be in this community? Do I want to be in that community? That's, that's not what we're talking about here. But Ezra, the place you don't want to go, that, that shadow that you're afraid of in the dark, that monster that lives inside of you, that's where the gold is, right? Remember when, you know, the dragon is always hiding the gold, right? If, you, if you're willing to confront your monster, that's where you're going to find the treasure. The treasure is there, so don't be afraid to confront it. What was that? That's true. Okay. Well, it's not really. It's not Jordan Peterson that came up with it. it was Carl Jung. Yeah. I would like to read that book actually. I've uh, I've listened to him before. I think he has a lot of intelligence things to say. 
Betchilas kol avoda atzmis or medes ha'akara atzmis. I understand. <laughs> In the beginning of any avoda atzmis, there's first hakara. Before you can work on yourself, you have to become self-aware. Now that that that's obvious, right? But that's like Revolvi is spelling it out because it's so important, right? I'm working on myself. How? Well, I'm working on this mida. Yeah, but how do you even know that that's like the mida that you should be working on right now? Like. Where's the hakara? Where's the self-awareness? Now, I know that sounds simple, but gaining a hakara of yourself, that's a real avoda. Becoming self-aware, becoming a curious observer of self, that's a real avoda. And if you're not going to become self-aware, then this entire thing is closed off to you. Because the whole point here is we're trying to get to a place where we work on ourselves. Well, how are you going to get to a place where you work on yourself if you don't know what you're working on to begin with? So you have this like amorphous concept in yeshivas, like... I'm learning Musr. What does that mean? I learn Mesil Sishar. What's that got to do with Musr? You understand what I'm saying? That's learning a Sefer, and more power to you. The more you learn, the better you are. But that's don't confuse that with working on yourself, right? Just because you read a Sefer doesn't mean you learned anything about yourself. Learning about yourself, and remember, like the Vilna Gain said, like we learned before Pesach, right? You're the only one that could teach that to yourself. So don't be afraid to look deep inside of yourself and confront who you really are. What's this person's life going to be like? He'll live tranquilly, nice spiritual life. He'll fall where people fall. He'll do good things like every Jew does. And Lamaisa, he doesn't get one ounce of schar. Why not? Why not, guys? Because he's not a truthful person. He's not a person of integrity and authenticity. Why not? Because he's totally not self-aware. If you're not self-aware, then you can't be a Ben Aliyah. What does it mean to be a Ben Aliyah? To be transformative, right? Being transformative is a core part of, of being a growth-oriented person. The willingness to shed your skin and to say, like, okay, like, that's... That was a version of myself. That was a 16-year-old version of myself. Here's an 18-year-old version of myself. There's a 22-year-old version of myself. Right? The constant willingness to engage in transformation, which, yes, I agree, does come from fearlessness. Right? The constant willingness to transform yourself, that's called being a Ben Aliyah. And that can only happen if, you're, if you know yourself enough to transform. So, like, for example, let's say a person says, I know I'm lazy. Okay? So they say, if I put myself in shiurim, where the Rebbeim aren't makbid on attendance, right? And I miss, then nobody's going to say anything to me, right? But if I put myself in a shear where if I don't show up, the Rebbe's going to smack me over the head, that's a very high level of self-awareness. Because not only is the person aware of the negative meter that they have, but they're actually, they're transforming themselves. They're doing something that's actionable to make sure that they do it. That's a positive thing, right? The person who doesn't even know that he's lazy, who's just blaming it on everybody else, yeah, oh, the shirim aren't interesting enough for me, or this or that, right, coming up with a million excuses, they can't transform because they don't even, they're not even really aware of the problem they have to begin with. They're going to just blame everybody else. Just sheer knowledge of yourself will be meromim you, will elevate you. And I have these words double underlined in my safer. Before a person understands themselves, you find yourself 
in the middle of the tahom. You guys know what the tahom means? <clears throat> what was that? Yeah, meaning like, yeah, you're you're in the you're in the pit. Yeah, you're in the void. Where's that from? Ah, yeah, you're in the void. Yeah, that's really where you are. And by the way, if you've ever been there, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you ever had a situation where you learned something about yourself and you're like, whoa, like a like one of those boom, like, how did I not know that about myself? If you've ever had that then you realize that before that, you were in a bad place. Because imagine how many people knew that about you before you knew that about yourself. That's horrifying. It's like, Isn't that while you're working? While you're yeah, it may be. But like, the day that you discover that everybody about you knows the thing that you didn't know about yourself is a bad day. That's a hard day. That's like a, like a... So what has everybody been looking at me like for the last 18 years of my life? And when you go to them and, and, and you'll say this to them, you'll be like, did you like think that I was pretty arrogant and they'll be like oh yeah I mean I love you anyway but like everybody kind of knows you're arrogant and you're like really like how did I not get that right how did I not know that that's a that's like a like you almost feel like you want to apologize to everybody you ever were with because you don't even know you were in a to home doesn't necessarily have to, it's not necessarily a depressing experience I hope it I hope it won't be depressing but it might yeah. be a bad day it might be a yeah. rough day right and then, but the look, but when you learn about yourself, and just the sheer knowledge of itself, even before you go through some transformational Ben Aliyah experience, the knowledge itself already begins to take you out of that place. Because once you start to become aware, let's say a person makes you aware that you're arrogant, and then you're like, oh, I'm arrogant. Yikes, I don't want to be arrogant. I can't imagine, because I know arrogant people. And the last thing in the world I want to be is like them. So that by itself, just the sheer knowledge, it already starts to take you out of that place. But a person who doesn't know himself, who the problem with knowing yourself is, is a very, very simple but very hard task to challenge, which is we all have we all have bias. We all have desires. I don't want to have to transform myself because Lamaisa, I have desires. Right? I think I once told you guys about the uh, about the Rebbe, and again I disagree with this approach. But the Rebbe, who every time guys would come to him to talk to him about, uh, I don't know if I believe in God, his response would be, I tell you guys about this, Rebbe? His response would be, what's her name? Oh, yeah. This is what? Good, what's her name? So, I, again, it's not my approach. To be clear, it's not my approach. Well, no, what he's saying is, again, I, it's, it's not my approach. But what he, he's saying, he's like, you don't not believe in God, but God comes with responsibility. Uh, you don't want to have, what was that? The Rebbe has a point. Okay, for sure. Again, it's not my approach in terms of. It could be, but it, it's not my approach only because I think that people deserve more respect than yeah, that. I so agree. even though there's a part of me that does believe it, I, I'm not going to do that. But again, he's a very, um, you know, don't take that spoonful of sugar. The medicine will go down anyway, and, and they'll grow from it. You know, like like one of those types of rebellion. And you're just molly coddling all these guys, and he's just coming along and saying, "Stop it! You do believe in God. You know you believe in God, but you just want to be able to do whatever you want to do. So I'm not going to have that conversation with you. Get honest with yourself, and if you'd like, we can have the conversation then." 
But by the time you, you by the time you get honest with yourself, you're not going to want to have that conversation because you'll be like, that's a waste of time. I want to go learn Gemara, right? But it's like, uh, and again, I'm not saying that's the right way of approaching it. But Lemaisa, right? Somebody called me the other day. He said uh, they were having a conversation with an atheist, and the atheist was saying there's no historical evidence that Yisias Mitzrayim ever happened. First of all, there is a tremendous amount of historical evidence that Yisias Mitzrayim happened. But with, uh, without getting into that, I asked him, I said, this is a very simple question. Did Abraham Lincoln exist? He said, yeah. Did you ever question if Abraham Lincoln exists? He said, no. Why not? Because Abraham Lincoln doesn't come along with any responsibilities. Whether I believe in Abraham Lincoln or don't believe in Abraham Lincoln, I don't have to wake up in the morning and put on tefillin because Abraham Lincoln existed. Right? So we're all sitting here and we're saying, like, no, I know myself. Dude, wake up. <laughs> you have biases. Those biases are blinders. Right? And so you're, you're fighting this war because if I really acknowledge that this is true, right? Or I'll give, you, I'll give you a much more sophisticated one. Right? How about the guy that, in the name of knowing himself, just goes, but this is who I am. The guy who goes, I'm lazy. Like, that's who I am. Like, I don't know if I'm ever really never going to be lazy, right? So, like, how do you talk to that guy? Because what's he doing? He's, he's in such a state of war that his bias has the ultimate move. What's the move of the bias? I really want to be lazy and just sit in bed. So what's my move? I know myself. <laughs> you don't know yourself because you don't know that what you just did was a move. You don't have to be a lazy person, but the negia that you have of being a lazy person says the ultimate move. So I'll say to myself... Right? And I'll say to everybody, I know I'm a lazy person. I really need to work on it. <laughs> and, now, no, and now what's anybody going to say to you? Okay, well, if you know you need to work on it, so do it. I'm really trying. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Right? And it's like, and the guy doesn't move. Well, what, why isn't he moving? Because his, his bias is blinding him. It's blinding him out of that his own admission is really just a form of fooling himself. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wait. That, that case is like, that is who he is currently, but your, your point is that he could be better in the I'm saying that sometimes a person is willing to acknowledge that they have a meter that they need to work on because it stops people from really getting to the core of what's going on. Like, yeah, I'll tell you I'm lazy. So, so now I as a Rebbe, what am I going to say to him? No, 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 you're lazy. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I just said that. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe we should work on it. I'm trying. <laughs> the problem is I'm so lazy. Yeah, so there's well, no, there's not, be, you're not even entering into the hakara of, of who you really are. Nothing about anyone in particular. What would be like the thing that he should think and do? Well, if he was really being an honest person, he would say to himself, okay, you know, I, I have this move that I've been pulling for a long time where I, I sort of like let people know that I'm aware of my failures. Well, I think I'm really doing that partially as a defense mechanism because if I admit it, I don't really have to work on it, right? Because most people don't admit it, so I'm admitting it, right? And then from that place of acknowledging that they're doing that, they'll start to be like, well, wait a second. Maybe part of the reason that I don't have this motivation that I'm being lazy is because, you know, in my life, I've always been giving everything I want on a silver platter. And honestly, it's a bit uncomfortable for me that I've been giving everything I want on a silver platter because I never really had to earn anything. I grew up in the generation of uh, I get a participant trophy. Right? You don't get a trophy for participating. But if your entire life you never had to earn anything and everybody just told you you were awesome and now somebody's coming along and telling you, hey man, you're going to have to work for it and you're afraid of failure. Right now you're starting to get a little bit deeper into it. I'm afraid of failure. What happens if I don't get a trophy at the end? What happens if I am just ordinary? What happens if I do you know, show up and I, and I can't learn because I'm just not as smart as I want it to be? Right? 
So I'm blaming a million other people, but the truth is I'm not taking ownership, right? That would be, again, one example of a trillion examples of what's going on inside of every person. Okay. Lifnei shonim rabos, nizgala beir ashkenazis, bemertaf echad, adam shamei olam lo ra'e or ashemesh. Many years ago, in the Ashkenazi lands, they found a person who in his life, he always lived in the cellars, in his life he had never seen the light of day. He never seen a person. He never left the cellar. And once he learned to speak, so it became clear that from his childhood he was totally alone in that cellar. As this person becomes aware, so he's, he, he starts to like realize that what, what he thought was his entire world. Like imagine if you never left your world. So you think that like that's your world, right? So then he never, he never had to confront the larger world. So too it is when a person knows themselves. When a person starts to learn himself, so then it's like, whoa, this whole time I've been living like in this cellar and I never engaged, I never had this like expansive life, right? But knowing yourself, even though it, at first you might think to yourself like, I don't really want to know my bad midos, right? Like, I'm not really so interested in learning that. But it's actually just the opposite, because as long as you're not self-aware, you're living in this very enclosed space, and you actually, you don't even realize how tightly wound you are. Because you're exerting, first of all, a lot of psychological energy to not learn those things about yourself. It's like, um, you guys have heard of Stephen Covey? Yeah. The Roche quotes him. Stephen Covey wrote a book called Seven Habits, yeah? And in that book, one of the things he talks about is um, a driveway that has a pothole in it. Now, it'll, it, you'll have to put a certain amount of energy into fixing the pothole in the driveway, right? But let's say you don't want to do it. You don't like want to actually dedicate the time to doing it. So what you do is you have to drive over the pothole every day in such a way that the car, the tires, won't go into the pothole, right? So how much energy does it take just to do that, right? Just to move your hands a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right to make sure you go over the pothole. It doesn't take that much energy at all, right? So that's how you never fix the pothole. But when you add up all the amount of times that you just did that, just that one little tilt to the left or tilt to the right so that you make sure not to hit the pothole, think about how much energy you've exerted. Over the course of your life, it's much more energy than it would take to, you know, to, to fix the pothole. Just as a, again, as a similar example of this, my daughter pointed out to me that the ceiling kitchen and our home had become very, because it, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I like to deep fry. I, I assume some of you might know that about me at this point in the year. So my brother-in-law has a, um, a deep fryer that I borrow, and it's a industrial-sized deep fryer. So like when I see people in yeshiva, and they have those like little deep fryers that they can make like a couple poppers at a time. Like if you can't put in like two full things of chicken at once, that's not a deep fryer. That's just like a pot of oil that's like in a rectangle standing up, right? Deep frying like a man, right? Like, and, and my whole house 
when you deep fry, it smells of deep fry, right? It's like you could break off a piece of the banister and eat it like Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? This is like, that's what it means to be a man. My daughter pointed out that over the last whatever amount of years, eight years that we've been living in the house, our kitchen ceiling had become a little dingy, a little oily. So we decided to paint the kitchen ceiling. So the day after Pesach, I think that Sunday, we painted the kitchen ceiling. So, just now. So this, by the way, I don't know if you guys realize what it takes to paint a ceiling. It's not so simple. You have to cover up everything with plastic and you have to tape all the corners to make sure that it gets done well. And by the way, even rolling a roller on the ceiling, right? It's not like rolling a roller on the, on the wall. It's, it's real energy and you have to do a couple of coats because you want to make sure that they can't see through. And so we did it and we invested you know, about two and a half hours into painting one ceiling in one room. Now I imagine if you were a professional painter, it would probably take less, but I am far from a professional, so it takes time, right? And here's the thing. Now that we've painted the ceiling, the whole room is brighter. And it's like you walk into the room and you're like, oh, that's the way the kitchen is supposed to look. I just kept replacing the bulbs, you know, thinking that the problem with the kitchen was they just didn't have, you know, enough light in the room. No, it has a tremendous amount of light. But if the ceiling is basically covered in oil, it's not going to have the feeling of a light room. And now the, the, the kitchen is so much more of a pleasant place to be. And it's the same thing. We're living in this constrained life, and most of us don't even realize that we're living in this constrained life. Why? Because we never had the courage to fill the pothole. We never had the courage to become self-aware. We never had the had the courage to look and say, "These are my midos rows." And the thing is, those are the things that are sh- that those are the shackles, right? Because if you're if you're wrapped up real tight in these ropes, but you've become accustomed to just kind of like sitting back in them, well, you don't realize that if you'll just cut the ropes, you'll be able to do that with your hands. You'll be able to be expansive. And it's the same thing. We're living in this cellar, and we're totally unaware that the cellar that we're living in is constraining us if we would only have the courage to cut the ropes. That make sense? Okay, we'll stop here for today.